think that there is this um, often a, an assumption that leaders have to have all the right answers. And certainly, again, going back to the fact that there are certain things in life that are either or right and wrong, and then there's things that are right and right. If you want meaningful leadership, you gotta actually invite a bit of discomfort. You gotta get comfortable with tension. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Unleashed, the fastest hour on the internet, coming to you from the Road 55 studio in Edmonton, Alberta, where every episode we feature a different thought leader or best-selling author, all in the name of helping you become the best leader you can be. And I want to thank our episode sponsor, our friends at PowerEd. PowerEd is an award-winning division of Athabasca University who partners with organizations looking for impactful online learning solutions. Their online platform means your employees can learn from wherever they are located. PowerEd meets them in their space and at a time that works best for them. Check out PowerEd at powered.ca. We're living in a polarized world, and as a leader, you have to make tough choices. But how do you avoid making a mistake when there's more than one right answer? Today we'll show you how to lead with and, which is a powerful way of thinking to make better choices when there isn't one right answer. We'll also discuss how easy it can be to teach your staff how to use it too. Now my special guest today is Tim Arnold. Tim has spent over two decades helping leaders manage complexity, increase resilience, and deliver results with clients that include the United Nations, Royal Bank of Canada, Allstate Insurance, Compassion International, and Toyota. After running both a for-profit business and a homeless shelter, he leverages his real-world experience to help organizations pursue both profit and purpose. Tim's work focuses on helping leaders unleash the superpower of both and thinking in an either-or world. Tim has authored two books, the best-selling The Power of Healthy Tension and his most recent release, Lead with And, The Secret to Resilience and Results in a Polarized World. Beyond leadership and team development, Tim is, a, is an avid fisherman, world traveler, and a really bad hockey player. I want to check in on that, perhaps. His, uh, his biggest accomplishments are being a dad to Declan and Avril and a husband to Becky. Tim, welcome back to Unleashed. Thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here. It's always great to be uh, invited somewhere, but when you're invited back, that's just the next level of, uh, of an honor. So this is fun. Really glad that we're able to have this conversation. Well, exactly. And if it wasn't a great day already, I mean, this does put you in pretty exclusive uh, territory being a two-timer. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, I am such a fan of Saturday Night Live. And so I look forward to the time. Hopefully we get enough longevity with Unleashed that we'll start to have some five-timers and then we can mail you a special jacket, maybe even hand-delivered by Steve Martin. But it really is a thrill to have you back, Tim. Great to be here. I'm excited about this conversation. So uh, I'm so fascinated uh, that you have a bit of a comparison here. You've, so you've written two books now. And of course, the first book was written before a pandemic. What was it like uh, in terms of comparison? And what was different about writing a book in a pandemic versus the one that you, uh, that you first authored? Oh, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. I had the overview and the proposal of this book, Lead With And, completed. Uh, and I was just starting to work on the writing in February of 2020. So the ideas were there, the arc was there. Uh, and then of course the world changed. I spent probably uh, a month to two months having to be full on in just pivoting my business with speaking and training. Um, things had to change pretty quickly. So in some ways the book was just shoved to the side a little bit. 
Um, and then things uh, went really well with the business, uh, kind of gained some momentum. So I knew it was time to get working on the book again. Two things that were interesting, though, is, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a book that the subtitle was The Secret to Resilience and Results, thinking, okay, well, that's timely. Uh, but I had to ask myself, but is it true? Am I actually living this out constantly? I'm in the biggest business challenge I've experienced in 20 plus years. Would I feel like this is make it or break it stuff for me? And, and what's interesting, Jeff, is at the time, I had a list of 10 tensions to manage directly linked to results and resilience, all of which I would have said, okay, no, I, I'd still resonate with the 10, but I had to shortlist it down to six. Uh, because I felt like there's six that I feel had I not cared about this research, understood this concept pre-COVID, I don't think my business would have made it. Um, so the book actually went, uh, kind of got shrunk real quickly. The other thing that would have been interesting was um, I wanted this to be an interview-based book, but because I had some pretty big names I was looking to interview, my paradigm before COVID was I was going to fly all over and try to arrange these interviews well, similar to today, um, all of a sudden talking with people got a lot easier on some levels. Uh, so every interview that I wanted to uh, include in the book, everybody said yes. And uh, we ended up having great chats. So yeah, there was more time uh, to write in some ways because I was traveling obviously less, uh, but everyone was home. I have a, my wife's a teacher. I got you know kids in homeschool right now and schools were locked down. So it wasn't easy just to disappear and write. Um, a lot more tricky than actually I would have anticipated. Yeah, so what were some other edits then that COVID caused you to make on the book, Tim? Well, that's the, it's an interesting question as well. It would have, it would have definitely made me recognize uh, the timeliness of the conversation. As I said, pre-COVID, I was um, talking about this concept of leading with and and uh, I knew we were living in a pretty polarized world, uh, but as I was starting to, you know, work on these chapters and seeing in, in what seemed to be month by month level, more division and polarization, and people know this, I mean, we went from uh, uh, we're all in this together approach uh, to quickly moving to a, I don't know what the title would be, but all in this together wouldn't be it. Division, polarization, picking sides. So I actually started to really feel the uh, significance of doing this well. And, you know, there's certain chapters in the book where we go beyond just awareness of key tensions, but really get into, you know, how do you have great, compassionate conversations with people who see the world differently than you? How do you be someone who builds bridges um, and is known for that as opposed to just being right all the time? And would have felt this pressure of, wow, I just, I really want to get this right. Because I feel like more than ever, I mean, this work has mattered to me for 20 years, Jeff. I've been researching and writing about polarities and tensions for years, but it just matters right now. We're feeling a lot of division, a lot of polarization. You know, there's a mentor of mine who uh, wisely taught me years ago that anger always floats on a sea of fear. And I, I feel like right now we're seeing and hearing anger often, but the reality is people are scared. You know, people are anxious and, you know, I, I think are looking for ways to, you know, be a little less angry and actually find common ground. So 
Um, yeah, it, it really made the writing process uh, one that I, I certainly took seriously. Yeah, so you've hit on some really important things, <clears throat> I think, that suggest why this book is so important. So, I mean, what does it mean to lead with and then, Tim? I mean, I'm just so uh, fascinated by the topic and I want to understand it better because I think you're right. The, the world is, is polarized now as our generation has ever seen it. So why is, why is this such an important topic and, and such an important piece of a toolkit for, an, for effective leadership? Sure. And, and, and Jeff, I was you know, honored to be uh, interviewed by you before. So for folks that want to do a deep dive into kind of this idea of tensions and polarities, you can go back and listen to our last conversation. But if I was to give you the Reader's Digest version, um, you know, something you'll hear me say often is that we really do live in an either or world. And we're conditioned and rewarded to be either or thinkers. You know, it starts young. Uh, you mentioned my hockey skills. That would carry over into all areas of athletics. And I knew even on the schoolyard, whatever game we were playing, I'd usually get picked last, but I had to give it my all because there was going to be a team that we merged as the winners and there's going to be a losing team. And you, you want to be a winner. You want to be on the winning team. You know, I, I don't even know if you know this, Jeff, but I'm a trained accountant. You know, I went through all my university years and practices, uh, work placements and accounting. And, you know, I was conditioned to know that for every you know, piece of work in front of me, there's going to be right and wrong answer. You got to get the right answer because your job depends on it. Never mind. People could go to jail if you don't. Uh, raised in a faith tradition where things were pretty black or white. You know, it was literally good and bad, heaven and hell. So what happens is we get into the workplace, we become a professional, and our teams are treating every challenge we face with this either or approach. You know, you're a winner or you're a loser. Things are right or they're wrong. Things are, people are good or they're bad. And just so we're clear, a great amount of life is either or. I mean, leaders every day have to make countless decisions that, you know, there's right and wrong answers. And there are situations where good and bad is, is true. What I'm sure everyone listening today knows, though, is that the more hard stuff that you tackle in life, you know, the more that you're trying to move things forward and really lead um, in an innovative way, you're also dealing with this whole other phenomenon where situations aren't necessarily right and wrong, they're actually right and right. And, you know, in organizations, sometimes we call these conflicting values, but they're unavoidable. Um, I use the word tensions to manage, but, you know, things like embracing change at the same time, uh, holding on to stability, making sure we don't lose what we're known for. Uh, as a communicator, I need to be truthful and clear and candid. And at the same time, I've got to be tactful and relational. Uh, planning versus action, cost versus quality. You know, leadership and teamwork really is often focused not on these either or right and wrongs, but wrestling with these conflicting values. And, you know, my work up into this book was really just trying to have folks recognize some of these tensions. You know, you... <laughs> One question I think everyone should ask themselves if they're thinking of writing a book is, does the world really need another book? Um, when you've already written one, I think you got to ask that question even uh, a little bit stronger. Do I really feel like there's something more to say? Um, and I, I felt that there was something more to say, and it was specifically to leaders. Because as much as I feel everyone will enhance life by 
having a better ability to be a both and thinker. You know, it's true of our relationships, of um, our families, our friendships, our teams, our organizations. There's a role, though, that is specifically for leaders. I mean, I called the book Lead with And because I think people are looking for, for leaders to show how it's done. You know, we, we, in, in a world that feels like we're just so divided and polarized and, and so easily want to find our people and pick our side, we're looking for folks to say, there is a better way. There actually is a way to find common ground as opposed to divisive walls. You know, there is, um, and, and, and folks are looking for leaders to say, okay, we're going to rise above that, I would call it lazy, oversimplified, either or approach. And we're going to step things up and lead and work at a whole different level. So really, this, this last book was, was specifically um, for leaders, whether you're leading people or just moving projects forward. How do you lead with and in a world that truly is obsessed with either or? How do you be that both and thinker? Yeah. Polarity is not a new thing, Tim. But uh, and you mentioned hockey before, and, and this is uh, something that never occurred to me before. In the 80s and, and prior to that, NHL hockey games would, would end in a tie. And uh, you know, they would play, uh, they would play overtime, someone scores or not, but they would end in a tie, everybody gets a point. And fan, the fan base started to become, uh, to have unrest for that. And I think, you know, marketing and promotions realize that if we can add shootouts and have a winner, that's going to help ratings, that's going to help revenue and all that stuff. So with that said, do you think the world has moved even more to a polarized state than it has been historically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what's happened, I think, Jeff, is we have moved more towards positions and less towards higher purpose and interests because when it comes to higher purpose and interests we actually will find you know you and i could for example be on two ends of the political spectrum you know we could be looking at a change in the organization and see it from a very different way but i bet we have most of the same interests and I bet we want both most of the same kind of higher purposes for the work that we do and the impact we have. We're just seeing it at a bit of a different positional space in a, as you say, a world that's really looking for winners and losers and, and really wants to see things as right and wrong. You know, what's happened, and I, I, there's lots of reasons for this, but I, I think one thing that's really started to ramp this either or thinking up is the fact that in the last 20 years, we choose our news sources now, you know, so if I have a position or a bias or a preference, you know, I can actually easily surround myself with information and social media um, that affirms that I'm right. You know, and, and again, either or thinking assumes, well, if I'm right, obviously the other side must be wrong, you know, as opposed to being pushed to say, hey, you, I, I may be right, and I might have an incomplete point of view. There may be another side that's equally as true. But what's happening is that, again, we're, we're finding our news sources. You know, social media now is designed so that when we have a point of view, we like something, algorithms go to work to make sure we see more of those things. And it works hard to make sure we don't see things that challenge that point of view. So we find our people, you know, it used to be that that just kind of happened and we'd have a polite meeting, Jeff, you and myself and a few others, and we'd all, you know, have nice 
polite conversations, but then we'd have what's called the meeting after the meeting, you know, and then you find a few people and you chat really about, can you believe that? That was kind of the extent of it. Well, now that happens all the time. You know, we're, it happens through news, through social media, through chats, through, you know, virtual work hasn't helped with that. So I feel like we're, we're more and more in a place where you just are convincing yourself that obviously this is true and either or thinking tricks me to believe, which means that that's obviously false or wrong or incorrect, or they don't care or they don't get it, which all of that, again, is pretty lazy thinking, but we're all guilty of it now and then. Yeah. So this, that's really profound, Tim. I've never looked at it this way before that having a more abundant sources of information is actually narrowing our viewpoint. Would, would you agree with that then? Well, it's abundance of biased information. So it's, yeah. it's, it's abundance of information. I mean, again, not to get into psychology too deeply here, but we all as humans yeah. have a confirmation bias. Once I have a point of view, I want to seek out things that affirm that point of view. And, you know, th that's, that's not just our generation. This is, you know, human evolution. But right now, life is kind of situated so we can just affirm our point of view in ways we've never done before. Um, you know, it used to be that you got a newspaper and that was kind of the, the worldview you had. Well, you know, now it's literally every minute, you know, and it's more information kind of affirming my take, my point of view. And um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly a vulnerable place to be. And, you know, now to really be that person who, and, and again, Jeff, one thing I would have said this to your audience a few years ago, and I want to be super clear today. I am not suggesting that leaders give up their biases and points of views and values. I actually think having a, a bias leaning towards one side, that gives you an edge. It gives you a, that gives your organization a little bit of a unique place in the market. What I am saying is open your mind to believe, recognizing that you don't need to exchange your point of view for the opposite, but you can expand it. You can say, hey, I, this is, here's where I'm comfortable. Here's where I lean. And I know there's value here. I know I have blind spots on that side. And I'm going to be wise enough to look in that direction or find people that help me see what I won't see on my own. And we're just not doing that very much these days. Yeah. So we're, we're not comfortable with a tie we've kind of talked about. And I, I, and I, like, I like the tug of war analogy, and I know you've used that before, and it, it ends with a winner and a loser. We're not, we're not sort of equipped, I don't think, uh, or, or conditioned to be comfortable that, um, that there might not be a winner or a loser. But there's something else in, in your book that really resonates with me, and that lead with and does not mean a tie. It doesn't mean splitting the difference. This is not a, a, a compromise situation. And I, can you elaborate on that? Because I. That's not easy for me to sort of wrap my brain around and get comfortable in that space. It feels, uh, I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance or what you would call it, but it's, it's, uh, it's not a comfortable headspace. And, and, and you've been doing this for a long time. You've been flexing this muscle and working it out and getting better at it. Can you walk us through what that's like to start to get, uh, to get used to it and, and, and why it's not splitting the difference? Sure. So I, I would say that in every organization, you will have problems that you will solve. And problems that you will solve mean that you make a call, you move on. Some of those problems are, I would call them simple problems and that there is a right and wrong answer. 
some of those problems, there's options, but you can still choose one and move on. Here's the thing though, Jeff, as leaders, and, and research would say that most of the people that are tuning in right now solve hundreds of problems a day. You know, every email you respond to, every call you make, you're solving problems. The other thing though that you need to be mindful of is, and this is often, what happens is mediocre leadership and organizations that just kind of settle stop at the problem solving phase. They just keep making solutions and, well, this makes sense, this feels right. What, what's, what's game changing is when you can go one level up and say, we also though have some tensions to manage. You know, these are chronic issues. These are those things, Jeff, that if you and I work together um, for very long and we're at a meeting, you're suggesting or you know, concern or an idea. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, ah, are we actually talking about this again? You know, it's those things, ah, it just feels like it surfaces over and over. Well, that's a huge indicator that, you know what? That's a tension to manage, you know? And I, my research would say that there's a long list of tensions that every organization manages but they're unsolvable. You will not solve them. You know, most organizations, a few that resonate are, you know, embracing change, but holding on to stability, you know, profit versus growth, cost versus quality. We're not solving those, but the more that we understand that tension and, you know, most people, and I've actually researched this now in countries all over the world, most people assume tension's bad. So, you know, I've even had people write down words. I say tension, you say what? And, you know, headache, stress, conflict, dysfunction. Tension's bad. So therefore we ignore it or we avoid it. You know, and, and, and organizations do that. We feel it, but we're just pretending it's not there. Or if we start to sense tension, conflicting values, surfacing conversations, we change the subject. You know, organizations that truly are great, leadership that stands out actually does the opposite. They embrace it. They say, no, this is a tension that we're going to wrestle with. We're going to really not let people off the hook and say, hey, I know you see it differently. Help me understand. Because this goes back to your question, Jeff, the more that we can understand and assess the health of that tension, the more that the problem solving will be informed. So let me give you an example. Right now, I have countless clients talking to me about what does back to work look like? You know, I thought we're going to go back to the office in, in May or in April and people aren't wanting to go back to the office or people are excited. Everyone listening is going to have to make a decision on that. You're not going to meet in the middle. It's not splitting it. You're going to have to make a decision for your organization that may not be definitive for the future, but for now, this is how we're moving forward. But what I'll tell you is before you make that decision, at a higher level, what you're starting to tap into is an organizational tension between giving freedom and holding responsible. And some of the strongest organizations I've ever worked with, um, they, they just are relentless in saying, we are going to, on one hand, embrace freedom as much as makes sense for the organization, but freedom without responsibility is disastrous. At the same time, if we just shift to kind of it's all about responsibility. Now we're going to kind of, you know, abdicate the freedom side. We just become an institution. Engagement goes down. So yeah. I don't know if that's helpful, Jeff. You still have to make a decision. You're not splitting the difference. Yeah. It may be more on the freedom side than it was two years ago. Maybe it's shifting towards responsibility. But before we make that decision, we're going to say, hey, let's just be clear. This is not an easy either or. 
where we send out a memo and say, hey, this is the policy, makes sense, obviously. It's like, no, we're actually feeling moving forward. This is how we're going to navigate that. And we feel it, it actually helps us manage this freedom responsibility tension better than we ever have. Does that help? Yeah, let's, well, it helps a lot. And I think we should dig into that a little bit because I've, that's one that I'm grappling with myself personally, and then, and then also with our team. And the conversations that I've had with lots of business leaders, uh, in particular, I would say in the last six to eight months, I mean, there was even an article about this that came out from Adam Grant on languishing and it blew up because it seems like 98% of the world is feeling like they're languishing and the other 2% just didn't read the article. And uh, you know, I think, I think what has happened to a lot of us is what we were capable of doing before the pandemic has changed and not for the better. So our, our daily limit, our weekly limit, uh, the amount of projects that we can manage at one time, for most of us, that capacity has gone down. And so how, how can we do a really effective job with ourselves and with our people of recalibrating our capacity without lowering the expectations so much that nothing gets accomplished and then also giving people enough autonomy and enough freedom so that we can balance those two. And I, I would, you know, I'm just I'm so curious on your perspective of how leaders can actually start to apply some of that stuff. Yeah. So I would, I would do a few things. I would, I would, I mean, if this idea of freedom and responsibility seems to resonate and helping to inform a, a great decision, you know, and you can do this on your own, but it's better if you do it with a few people, because you're going to get perspective that you won't see. It kind of allows you to check with those blind spots, but you would, you would spend a bit of time saying, okay, first of all, like, and this can be on a napkin or a flip chart paper. I mean, it can be on a zoom whiteboard. What are the benefits that we've been experiencing in the last year or two because of new freedoms? Like what are, what are things that we didn't expect that we don't want to lose? You know, but, and I mean, attention's like inhaling and exhales, like breathing. If you overdo one side, it's not going to work for you too long. So the next thing, it's kind of like inhaling and holding it. What will happen if moving forward, we over-focus on freedom and we start to neglect responsibility and accountability? Not, and that's different, Jeff, than what's wrong with letting people have freedom, empowerment. No, it's like, what happens though, if we either or choose that side, neglect responsibility? Well, people will quickly talk about, yeah, balls get dropped and actually people don't realize their lack of negative or their negative impact on others and just morale goes down. Okay, okay. So what will happen if this new normal really embraces responsibility and connection? You know, and we'll talk about, okay, well, these are things that we, or maybe some things that we've, we've lost in the last years. What are the upsides there? But again, if we just treat this like a simple problem to solve where one side's right and the other side's wrong, what's going to happen if this new normal solution, you know, over focuses on responsibility, but kind of starts to minimize or neglect freedom? Well, you're going to quickly see, and what happens, Jeff, you go beyond, from beyond seeing your bias point of view to see in the big picture. And they're like, okay, now, how do we make some decisions moving forward that get both upsides? Now that doesn't mean meet in the middle. It may be, and I worked with an organization this week that would say, we're actually probably gonna be more weighted on freedom moving forward, but we are gonna be relentless to make sure we've got systems and strategies in place. So we, we, we get those upsides of responsibility. And now that we've seen those downsides, we call these red flags we're going to work hard 
to identify red flags or early warnings when we're mismanaging this tension. You know, and the other, the other tension that I would encourage all of your listeners to be mindful of as they're figuring out what this next normal looks like is even work and home. You know, just because we can do things remotely doesn't mean that it's been a win for everyone at home. And yet for some people it has. So now what we're doing now is we're actually inviting a bit of complexity. And, and, oh, I wish there was just a simple solution. I mean, everyone loves a speaker that can give you five habits or seven steps. And I, I'd love to say that I could do that with these tensions. It just won't serve you well. Because what you're willing to do is saying, yeah, that work at home has actually been more complex than it was two years ago. Because there's a lot of blurriness between. And some people who are thriving working from home have actually really taken a toll at home. You know, at the same time, uh, we, we've sometimes aired so much on the work. So, so it's saying, hey, there's a few tensions that we're going to be thinking about that are going to allow us to make a much better decision. You know, the Jim Collins uh, in, in Good to Great said, you know, just do not settle for the tyranny of the or. It's going to be one or the other. But be willing to be that level five leader that embraces the genius of the and. You know, there's a few tensions that we are going to keep our eye on and they're going to help us make way better decisions. Yeah. I love the practical advice that you gave there on trying to figure out the balance between uh, freedom and responsibility. And there's, there's, there's a lot that you said there underneath it too about you know, psychological safety, about collaboration, about teamwork, about connection. And, and I think that that's critical. And I, uh, all, of the, all of the fundamentals of building a solid foundation for a business are so much more important in a crisis. And like if, if you've got low levels of employee engagement, if you've got uh, a very unclear purpose, uh, if you've got weak connections with your people, poor managers, poor leaders, ill-equipped to do their jobs, it's gonna be very difficult to get legitimate responses from your employees to figure out solutions together. Because I was, I was feeling how, uh, just how impactful that is, Tim, when the burden of solving all these problems is off of the shoulders of one person, which is often the leader or the manager. And I think even in times of, in times of crisis, we think that even more so as leaders is that we wanna solve and take burdens away from our people, but often the best, most effective way to solve them is, is together. Uh, I'm wonder, I wonder if what your lens would be on that. Yeah, the, I, I mean, my, my take on that is I would agree. I think that there is this, um, often a, an assumption that leaders have to have all the right answers. And certainly, again, going back to the fact that there are certain things in life that are either or right and wrong. And then there's things that are right and right, that both and certainly when it comes to situations or things are right and wrong, leaders hopefully do have the right answer. Hey, this is the best yeah. strategy. We know this works well. What's really powerful, though, is when leaders can certainly bring the right answer when it exists, but also say, yeah. you know what, Jeff, this is more complex than that. You know, this is a yeah. situation not of right and wrong, but of right and right. And what we need to do is get actually comfortable wrestling with that. So we make great yeah. decisions so that we leverage that, because if we just settle for either or we're limited, you know, we may get by, but we'll never stand out from the pack. And you know yeah. what that does is it, it engages teams to actually realize I can bring my values. I can actually express my concerns and fears. It's not a matter of a few of us are right and a few of us are wrong. This is just the big picture. So, you know, if you want, I've said this, I've worked with a lot of teams over time. 
And I've said, ranging from small entrepreneurial startups to the United Nations, the teams that would be in the top 5% of effectiveness would be not for the faint of heart. And that you're like, whoa, the level of dialogue and the level of, hey, Jeff, I know you don't agree, push back. And that level of, you know, what Lencioni would call healthy conflict is unlike what you would normally see. But the level of trust and respect in the room is also unlike what you would normally see. So rather than having meetings, people are dreading, they're, they're looking forward to it because it's like, yeah, we're going to actually get into it. We're going to wrestle with some complexity. And that's what keeps yeah. engagement high. Yeah. So you've mentioned that some, some problems are solvable. There is a right and a wrong. There's a yes and a no. But what are some signals to tell when you're entering some kind of a domain or some kind of territory or decision that has to be made or some complex problem where it's essential to lead with and? Mm -hmm. I'll ask the question again. I just want to make sure I'm understanding so, you. Yeah, like, how, how do you know? Like, so sometimes we just have to solve things. And there is a yes or a no. There's a right and a wrong. But how do we start to tell when we're entering that territory, oh, I better take a step back and I, and I better manage both polarities. I better lead with and instead of just making a binary decision uh, on my own, for example, or, or choosing one side or another. Yeah, I think, I think that when you start to feel division and polarization, you know, one thing, and I, I mean, I'm a pretty emotional, passionate person. So I get, I have my points of view and I can get pretty revved up and excited about things. But when I sense resistance, you know, the either or problem solver in me wants to overcome it. Oh, well, obviously, Jeff just doesn't understand. He just doesn't get it. Right. And then if I yeah. sense more resistance, well, then it's easy for me just to put negative attributions towards you. Well, obviously, Jeff doesn't care that much or, you know, he's been talking to the wrong people. What I've learned to do, first of all, and this is so important with leaders because leaders can get their way if they want it is when I feel resistance to remember there's wisdom and resistance. There's wisdom and resistance. This is a smart, intelligent, caring person. And something that I'm saying they're feeling a rub on, I rather than can help them get to my side, that's that old tug of war idea, what might I be missing? You know, help. so starting there. And then I think the other thing, Jeff, to pay attention to is, you know, especially if you're in a room with, you you know, this is a good group of people, but it feels so divided. We may not be naming it, but it feels divided to just pause and say, I bet this isn't a simple problem to solve because the world wants us to believe everything is, but I bet it is. I saw this, Jeff, literally this week. I was working with a client in the U.S. and they were doing a day of development with me and then a strategic planning day. And I, I got there and <laughs> talk about divided. The CEO and two other people were upstairs in the meeting room and the team was downstairs and I got this weird vibe and these are a wonderful group of people I've worked with them many times. So I go upstairs and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, we're just, we're just, I'm just ravaged right now. I'm like by what? He's like, well, we've got to make a call and the team is just split in half. I'm like, what, what's happening? And, you know, they were a very high level um, audio visual company. They do, you know, they're at the Super Bowls. They're at all these big events doing real time um, uh, social media posts, and but they also have a part of the vision, a business that is all about branding. So they help your organization have this world-class brand. And he's like, we got to decide, are we about events or are we about branding? And I'm like, okay. And he's like, and the team split in half. And I said, is, is it maybe both? And they're like, well, I, it has been, but everyone like these, the, these guys hates events. And 
And I said, well, what if we just started to get rid of the word or, or but, and just try to use the word and. And you know what happened, Jeff? And again, this is a great group of people, but somehow in the heat of conflict, we got convinced that we got to make a decision and it's going to be either events or branding. Well, it only took, and I'm, I'm not joking, five minutes of good dialogue to say, we wouldn't have branding clients if we didn't have events. And at the same time, our branding clients is where the bottom line is. These two things go together. And just like breathing, if we pick a side, there's going to be about six people that leave here feeling great and six people that yeah. feel like they lost. But six months down the road, we're all at a work. So let's just not play into this either or dichotomy. You know, there's a great saying by a colleague and friend, Don Miller. He says, binary thinking is the enemy of creativity. And when we're all of a sudden convincing ourselves, well, it's either brands or events, we've just lost about 600 other great options. And I'm telling you, just by pushing themselves to say, oh no, this, this is a tension. This is a both and. And absolutely, we have people biased and that's fine, but let's not, let's not oversimplify a complex issue. And I mean, I was just chatting with the, the client last night and they landed at a great place, unified, feeling like they've really gained ground but it's so easy to kind of go back to that either or dichotomy, even for the best of teams, the best of leaders. Yeah. I absolutely love what you said in that example about one of the triggers is when you feel resistance, because I'm noticing what happens for me, Tim, in these situations is when I feel resistance, it oftentimes will trigger defensiveness. And I'm, I'm wondering now if uh, one of the ways to tell when you have to sort of manage these healthy tensions and these polarities is when you start to feel a lot of negative emotions. And part of becoming a good leader is not letting those emotions drive your behavior, but instead sort of taking a step back and being a little bit more curious. And I'm learning oftentimes the hard way, but because I have such in, um, incredible uh, colleagues, when I start to feel that defensiveness, it started to serve as more of a cue that I better dig in and start to get curious about why I'm feeling it and what other people's perspectives are. So that is a um, that is a really powerful example that you shared. Thanks for that, Tim. Oh, I, and Tim, I think it would be valuable if I just I want to share the six main uh, the six main tensions with people so they under they understand those. And so the, the the six that you talk about predominantly in the book are optimism and realism, embracing change and preserving stability embracing uh, change and being purpose-driven, uh, having expectations and extending grace, caring for others and caring for yourself, and then building confidence and remaining humble. And I, I, how difficult was it to narrow in on six? I know you mentioned that there were 10 at one time. Mm. Well, interestingly enough, for my first book, I, I went, I mean, I, I was pulling from research and you know, organizations really, Jeff, are managing 50 to 60. Like there's a long list of tensions that you manage every day. Yeah. And I thought I'd done this great job by narrowing it down to 25 that really resonate. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, I really felt, and this is what I would have spent a few years researching. There were some that I don't care what you do. I don't care where you are in the world. You will yeah. be managing these tensions and they will be the difference between just getting by and thriving. And again, yeah. you may not have the same language. You know, I, I, one of them is being profit focused and purpose driven. I, 
Well, if you're not for Tim, profit, I have to, I, Tim, I said that one wrong. I, I know, and as soon as I said it, I'm like, it's not embracing change and and purpose. It's it's profit. It's profit driven and purpose driven. So thanks for correcting me on that. Language matters, though. I mean, I just have a not for profit that said, well, we're not profit focused, and I said, but yeah, but again, what's the first cousin? Mission and margin. You know, you, you I, I ran a homeless shelter for ten years. I know that we're here because we want to be about a mission, yeah. make the world a better place. But you know what? If we don't at the same time focus on the bottom line, the margin, we're not going to impact many people for very long. So what we need to do is recognize these things only work when they're together. So I guess the, the, the long uh, answer is the, those six, I am convinced that I don't know all your audience right now, but I do know that they're going to resonate with all six. And those six tensions are either causing division, stress, you know, I, I've seen way too many leaders either tap out, you know, they just took an easier road because it just was too much work or they stay in the game, but they just become miserable. You know, they, they can put on a smiling face, but you talk to them behind the curtain and you're like, wow, you're not in a good place. I, I, I'm convinced there's can be lots of reasons for that. But one is we just have not developed this skill set of getting comfortable with tension. You know, we, we're good in the either or we can make decisions all day long. But to actually start, as you said, to pay attention to, oh, that's a bit of resistance. That's a bit uncomfortable. And then get to the place where you invite it. You know, we don't do that. So as a result, it just surfaces in lots of other negative ways. There's a great quote. Um, Susan David, author Susan David says, uh, yeah. discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. And I believe that's true of leadership, too. If you want meaningful leadership, you got to actually invite a bit of discomfort. You got to get comfortable with tension. Yeah. Uh, Tim, uh, in another interview, there was something else that you said that, that really struck a chord with me, and it's this tension uh, between high expectations and high grace. You said something that was really compelling, and is that you don't believe uh, that you can extend grace to others if you can't do it toward yourself. And I wondered if you could elaborate that, on that a little bit and how you've experienced that personally. And then perhaps some advice for how we can be a little bit kinder and gentler and a little bit more gracious with ourselves to begin with. Oh, that's a big one. And I will say this is a work in progress for me. I feel like I'm quite a ways down the road, um, but I, I, I continue to work on this one. Again, the tension is I, I want to have high expectations on myself. And I, I do. I mean, I got lists on my desk right now of to do's and goals. And that that's a natural space for me. I want to have high expectations on my team. You know, I even know that it's my job sometimes to see in others what they don't see in themselves and say, no, you, you, you're capable of that. Um, but I'm, and author Anne Lamott said expectations are resentments under construction. You know, there's a point where expectations without grace um, does nothing but harm. So it's not what's wrong with expectations, but I also want to be this leader that has high levels of grace, understanding, you know. Un recognizing that everyone I interact with is fighting a battle that I know nothing about. Now, I know cognitively I need both of those things. I just happen to lean really solid on the expectation side. Grace for me is a discipline, but I've learned a couple things, Jeff. One is the most effective leaders that I've interacted with manage that tension well. And, and not in a watered down, meet in the middle way. They have high expectations and every bit is high levels of grace. But I did quite a bit of research on this because I knew for me this was still a work in progress. 
it is a tension that you will not be able to lead others through well if you don't hold yourself up to it. So, you know, I recognized, you know, in my personal work journey that the expectation side on myself is high, but the grace side wasn't. Um, and, you know, a lot of personal work is, and again, not how do I lower my expectations? It's how do I keep those expectations, but start to learn to have grace with myself, you know, and realize that some days I don't get everything done. And you know what? Sometimes I'll do a podcast and I won't knock it out of the park. And does that mean that I have lower expectations for delivering right now? Not at all. But it also means I'm not going to lose sleep at night or feel I'm like a bad person if I don't meet the mark every day. And the more that I've worked on being a leader that has high expectations and high levels of grace, it naturally flows towards others. And, you know, I, I, and I work with folks in, in, in coaching executives. Normally, people lean towards one side or the other. And that's, that's fine. That's kind of your DNA. It may be nature. It may be nurture, but really look to be, hey, if I'm a naturally grace-based leader, how do I hold on to that? But start to step up the expectations, maybe push people a bit harder. Um, and then for people like me, um, what does it look like to actually be generous with my assumptions towards others? Assume people are doing yeah. the best, even when they don't meet my expectations. Yeah. And something that is uh, that I'm learning as we go here too, in terms of challenging capacity and challenging expectations, is you've got to have an awful lot of trust with your colleagues because uh, you know the term sandbag. You could you you could certainly sandbag expectations and and keep them lower than what you're capable of. So I think you're right. Like part of part of the adjustment to coming out of COVID now is pushing the envelope a little bit on what our capacity is without overloading ourselves, and then as you say, giving ourselves the grace. To uh, to take some time off, or to not everything, not get everything done uh, as we as we start to test those uh, those new, th new new thresholds. So thanks for that, uh, Tim. I want to take us down a little bit of a different path now, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna do my best to explain this, and uh, I'm still trying to sort it out a little bit myself. And this is based on a, a conversation I had this week with a with a mutual friend of ours. And I'm gonna mention three things that are very polarizing in the world right right now. And so uh, one of them, of course, is the the recent uh, trucker convoy. The other one that's been with us for a while now is pro-vax versus anti-vax. And another one that popped up for me yesterday in a workshop was, was, uh, was being a proud and devout uh, Catholic or supporting reconciliation. And it occurs to me that if you're going to manage these healthy tensions and if you're going to be good and, and embrace leading with and, it means you can't pick a side. And when you don't pick a side, there's implications for community. And we all want to be part of a group. We all, we all, we all want to belong to community. We all want to be supported and validated and welcomed. It's very lonely to not have that. And so first of all, would you agree with that assessment that leading with and can be a lonely road to hoe? And if you agree that that is true, how does a person start to become comfortable with that loneliness? Oh, it's a... That's a nice light question. <laughs> I, um, here, here's my thoughts. First of all, you, you just said, Jeff, you, you can't pick a side. You do have to make decisions. So your views on trucker convoys and vaccines, people have to make informed decisions. You still may feel like it is the best decision. But you, what, what I would say you don't want to do is oversimplify the complexity that makes that decision hard. This is not an obvious decision. And as much as, you know, 
my family is vaccinated. I know that why this is complex for folks is on one hand, we have kind of our responsibility to the community and others at hand, you know, that, that living beyond yourself and kind of being others oriented and personal freedoms as well. And both of those things matter. So to just assume that, you know, obviously it's, if, if you're, if you're not on my side, well, you don't care about other people. Well, that that's lazy thinking. That's, that's just way too simple. And, you know, you talk about the lonely piece. The reason it can be hard is, you know, Brene Brown has a great term. She calls it con common enemy intimacy. There's actually immediate connection with you when we have something that we share. So, I mean, this can, this is why at a, you know, meeting, all of a sudden you find yourself talking about what are you watching on Netflix these days? Because immediately it's like, ooh, I like that too. We'll intensify that when we share a common enemy. There's this intimacy and rapport that we build. And what's happened, and I feel like it's happened way more in the last two years, is that we actually aren't spending time with people on the other side like we used to. You know, I, I coach hockey, which means I'm in the arena all the time. I'm not actually rubbing shoulders like I used to all of last year with people who probably have a different position than me on, on some of these issues, which means that it's easy for me to see them as the other side, not as good people who care about their families and their community, not as people who probably have 95 to 98% of things in common with my views and values. Now I'm just focusing on, well, they're different in this position. And, and it's almost like I've now found others on my side that I'm talking to and emailing and FaceTiming with. And, you know, the, it's almost like these individuals who actually care about, and I know they're intelligent, good people, they become the enemy. They've almost, and, and I wouldn't use that language with them, but there's an element of they're on the other side now. And yeah. because we're not rubbing shoulders and being with people like we were, it's kind of went from this to this. And if you're going to be that person, who, you know, in your friendship circle that maybe is all on the same side as you, it's going to say, hey, you know what, it's, it's not that simple. You know what, I, I, I hear you. And there's actually a lot of real good thought and value that would lead someone to that side. That can be lonely because people, people are uncomfortable with that. I just, I just want to agree. I just want you to affirm my point of view. And now you're actually telling me that maybe I'm missing something that maybe this person on the other side actually has some wisdom that I might be missing. And, you know, this is, again, I, I, I wrote this book called Lead with And because I really feel like it takes leadership to say, we are not going to settle with that oversimplified thinking. We're not going to do it. Yeah. We're actually going to lead the way to look for other perspectives. Does that mean I change my position? Maybe not. Maybe I stay here but I'm not going to blind myself to other points of view that there's actually wisdom behind. And yeah. it takes a leader to say, no, 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 no. We're going to rise above that. And sometimes it can be lonely because it's actually easier just to find in intimacy through a common enemy, just to actually yeah. have people where I can, you know, again, it's that meeting after the meeting where it's like, ah, oh, you know, we just get along and agree because we don't agree with the other side. Well, we're not in a great place right now because that's not happening enough. And it's, you know, it, it's going to take leadership, whether you lead a team or people, or you're just trying to be a leader in your community or on your hockey team, we need people to say, no, we're going to go, we're going to rise above that level of thinking. Yeah. 
I wonder, I also wonder if polarity and divisiveness actually leads to loneliness anyways, because if you take a hard line on a common enemy with a group of people, there's a couple things that can happen. The information can change and the views of that community are no longer relevant. And I think we're seeing that with COVID in some cases right now. Uh, the other part of it is when there's a different topic or a different divisive issue, this community that aligned on a common enemy might feel differently about the new enemy. So now you find yourself kind of holding the bag, wondering, well, where do I go now? Because I don't agree with anybody that I shared a common enemy with before, and now I'm lonely anyways. And so I wonder, even though it's a hard path, uh, but longer term, I wonder if it's the most effective way to really build a, a, a genuine community based on mutual respect and admiration when you can dig into hard conversations with people you admire uh, that might view things quite differently than you. So Tim, yeah, really, I, really profound comments. I would add one piece to that too. And, and yeah, we haven't talked about this in the past, but again, my background's accounting that led to business leadership's been my focus for most of my career. Um, but yeah. on the side, I did a master's in social justice and I was really looking actually at yeah. thought or people who really impacted the world um, in a significant way. And I was looking, yeah. just exploring where are these people who manage tensions and, you know, I yeah. went to Calcutta and studied Mother Teresa. I went to Robben Island in South Africa and uh, studied um, Mandela. Interestingly enough, if you look at any world changer, they actually were way more skilled at this concept than you'd ever believe. They, they, they got that this is not that simple. This is attention to manage. And as a result, Jeff, mm -hmm. they were alienated and vilified by both sides. You know, the side that they were speaking up against um, yeah. and their own base because they wouldn't oversimplify and make the other side an obvious villain. And mm -hmm. there's an element of, wow, when you start to say, no, 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 this is complex, but we're going to rise above it. You, you, yeah. There's a price to pay. The ultimate gain is so worth it. You know, the ultimate gain in your organization and your team in the world is so worth it. But you're not going, it, me, I mean, at the end of the day, and I read a whole chapter of this in my book, it actually takes courage because you will be alone sometimes. You're going to have to speak out in front of the crowd. You're going to have to say, no, 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 it's, it's both of these things can be true. Well, that, that takes yeah. courage. And we love to see courage in the movies. You know, I got two kids that I'm always trying to think, how can I develop courage in them? But at the end of the day, um, courage it's not an easy thing to muster sometimes, but this takes courage. Very serendipitously, right after I met you the first time a couple of years ago, I listened to a podcast with Barack Obama and he said all of the easy problems have been solved. Uh, the remaining ones are very complex and basically said they require a, a leader's ability to manage these tensions and you take all of the decisions that we could make and, and choose the best of the of the available ones, knowing that you're probably never going to make anybody perfectly satisfied. So with that, I, I have to ask the question, do you think our political leaders right now, uh, regionally, provincially, nationally, are doing a good job or a poor job of leading with and? Huh. I, I, and I believe me, I want to be super clear. I'm a, a massive fan of democracy and capitalism. So before people tune me out when I say what I'm going to say, just know that that's true. <laughs> um, there are elements of our democracy that are a setup. And that is, I ultimately have to, you know, appeal to my base. And to appeal to my base, 
knowing that the world loves to see things through either or, I'm actually only going to get back in power or gain power if I can somehow make the other side look wrong. So yeah. the whole system is set up to believe that, you know, if I'm a somewhat of a conservative viewpoint, nothing on the liberal side could be right, you know, and mm -hmm. vice versa. And when we do that, again, it oversimplifies complexity. I actually think, I mean, I, if you read Obama's memoir, the whole memoir that he just released last year is on this concept. And yeah. it was both a blessing and a curse for him. You know, he is on some levels going to be admired for someone who is trying to um, invite people into complexity. You know, he's someone who used li language like Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. And he got vilified for it. He had a Congress yeah. that couldn't move anything because we have a system that really wants to see this as an either or. So yeah. it's hard. I think really great intentioned people who are in politics are wrestling with a little bit of a setup because I can only make a difference if I stay in power, but to stay in power, yeah. I've got to oversimplify complex issues. So, yeah. you know, it, it, I don't know if I answered your question, but I do oh, know. Tim, it's a great answer. Yeah, it, Tim, it is, a, it is a great answer. And I want to thank you for going there uh, with me. And then, so on, on the other side of it then, because you're, you're just, you're, you're watching for this stuff, I'm sure all of the time. Is there somebody in the world right now, a prominent figure that you think is doing a pretty effective job of leading with and? Hmm. Well, it's interesting. You brought up Obama. I've, I've really enjoyed listening and studying him during his time in power, but even since to hear how he talks about not only how he chose to lead with Anne, but how hard that was. Um, right now, thought leader and author Brene Brown, it's like front and center in her work. And I think yeah. one of the reasons she's really resonating with a wider audience is that she's opening up at a super user-friendly level um, this idea of both of these things can be true. And actually, this is where vulnerability comes into play. This is where our best self is awakened. Um, it's, it's beyond thought leaders, though. I mean, I really found it um, interesting in the last a, a, a CEO that I find fascinating is Reed Hastings from Netflix. Um, their organization yeah. is based on a few tensions. Uh, freedom and responsibility is in the heart of it. So they have an incredibly flat organizational structure, but it's completely based on the idea of leading with and and healthy tensions. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, it's out there and you're always looking for it. Uh, it. It definitely stands out from the crowd. Yeah, oh, that's awesome, Tim. I, I, I like going off script a little bit like that and just sort of putting you on the spot with some of that stuff. And you've always got such good answers. Uh, as I was reading, uh, as I was reading Lead with Dan, I was also reading a bunch of stuff on uh, on some historical on some historical presidents from a long time ago, and and, and Abe Lincoln was in there. And I uh, I think that without calling it Lead with Dan, I think uh, Abraham Lincoln, if you go back and look at the way he dealt with slavery and emancipation, uh, there's a lot of the principles in your book that he was applying. And so if that's not a great reason for people to read this book and get out there and start practicing it in their own leadership style, I don't know what what is. Um, my final question for you today is, uh, I wondered if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us how this discovery of managing healthy tensions and leading with and has changed your life personally. Hmm. That's a great question. You know, I, I got into this whole idea of polarities and tensions uh, at the end of the 90s. I was doing a lot of leadership development, more on the outdoor adventure side. I was doing ropes courses and all that fun stuff. I had a Canadian bank that wanted to roll out this program across the country. And they said, we want to integrate this, 
this element called polarity management. Like, okay, great. I'm in. And of course, then I'm like, I got to get trained on polarity management now. So I uh, called up Dr. Barry Johnson. He wrote the book, Polarity Management. Um, and I mean, it's a really wild and crazy story, but um, in what turned out to be, I think, quite providential, I ended up uh, in his living room a week later um, in this intensive training. And, you know, I went there to get a business tool that I could sell and use. Um, but I, that first morning uh, with Dr. Johnson, and we were talking about surface business level things. And yet I, I was just feeling this emotion in me and I thought, what is happening? And it wasn't something that I was used to feeling, but it was one of the rare times in my life where I just felt myself, you know, just, I just felt just be present right now because this is yeah. bigger than a business tool. This is, and, and it, I mean, there was a lot of areas in my life at that point where I would say I was stuck. And what I recognized quickly, Jeff, was this isn't just a business tool. This isn't just a great flip chart activity to help us make decisions. This actually helps us live a better life. This helps us lead in a way that we actually enjoy the adventure. Um, you know, in terms of life and faith and relationship, when we can go beyond simple either or thinking and start to get comfortable with complexity, with mystery, with the fact that sometimes two sides can both be right. It just, it, I mean, it's like we go from a black and white TV to a color TV. It changes everything. Um, and, you know, as a result, since the late nineties, it's been front and center in my thought, my personal work, and certainly my client work. Yeah, that's a great answer. Thanks for that, Tim. I, I haven't shared this with you, uh, but I was reminded as I, as I, as I got through your book and listened to some of your recent interviews about how you're continuing to work on showing yourself some grace. And uh, one of the reasons that I, I really covet our relationship is uh, the first day that we ever met, you extended a whole bunch of grace to me. And, and so the listeners would have no insight into this except for maybe a couple. But the first time you and I ever met was a conference call on basically the first day of the pandemic in Canada. And we were literally in the middle ground zero of canceling our event, our Beck Summit that was supposed to happen in three days later. And you and I had a conference call about booking you to speak at the next one in 2021. And I was, uh, I was certainly distracted, not present, and may have even come across as, as disinterested, which is, which is horrible. Uh, but you extended me a ton of grace and a ton of understanding. And uh, you've been such a great friend in the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I honestly can't imagine getting through this pandemic without some of the conversations that we've had, Tim. So I, I want to thank you so much for all of that, for your friendship, for the work that you do, the kind of person and integrity that you bring to the world. And, and uh, you know, at least uh, uh, last but not least, for joining us again for a conversation today. No, oh, thank you. I'm honored by those comments. And uh, yeah, uh, have learned and uh, grown so much since we've connected. So I, uh, I thank you for that. And, and yeah, thanks for continuing to, to have these conversations. I think they're important right now. And for everybody else, you can stay connected with us, of course, on, uh, on our favorite social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, LinkedIn as well. And uh, you can find the podcast and the YouTube channel both on our website. So every episode is summarized there with a blog post, links, and clicks to resources in addition to the actual podcast uh, subscription avail availability and the YouTube piece. And you can find that at unleashresults.com. Uh, Tim, where do you want people to track you down and where can they find you? Oh, that's the easiest way is just leadwithand.com. <laughs> and not .ca.com, leadwithand.com. I've got 
some free resources there. Uh, those six tensions are there so folks can download them and assess them, um, but it's all there. So thanks. Yeah, that's great. Great to speak with you today, Tim. Uh, and I can't wait to see you at Bex in a few weeks. You're going to be there in Kananaska. So I know a lot of the people tuning in today are going to be there too, which is, uh, is going to be just fantastic. Thanks for tuning in. Now, if you found today's conversation helpful, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues who like learning as much as you do. And if you're a leader of a business and you're ready to take the next step because you know there's unleashed potential that exists within it, don't wait another minute. Go to UnleashResults.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll take care of the rest.